Hello and welcome to the Sandro Forte podcast. Over the many years I've been running a business, I've met many, many successful people, entrepreneurs, sports stars, celebrities, and dare I say, even royalty. So what makes a person successful? Do we know what success is? And the all important question, can we create success for ourselves? This podcast series invites a diverse group of people to share their insights, their wisdom and the things they've learned along the way. In 2009, Lawrence Kemble Cook set up his company PaveGen from a bedsit in Brixton. Ten years later, it's one of the fastest growing clean tech firms that reaches across the globe and is valued at over £20 million. The innovative company finds ways of creating off-grid energy from anything that moves, like our feet or cars. The initial technology that was designed were floor tiles that were installed in buildings and even under football pitches to generate power from the movement of the feet passing over it. Lawrence's work is seen in brushing shoulders with the likes of Barack Obama, Will I Am, and the singer Akon. He compares his company to being similar to that of Apple with the aim of making his technology a key component in the smart cities of the future. So I'd like to welcome our very special guest today, Lawrence Kemble Cook. Lawrence, welcome. Hi, hi, great to be here. Thanks so much. It's pleasure's ours. It's been great to uh, to have you on the show and something we've been trying to organise for quite some time because you are a busy man. So I have to start with the obvious question. Where on earth do you get such a clever idea from? Well, um, I guess the, the idea is um, a floor that generates energy from footsteps. And I guess I was really lucky um, in that I was in 2008. I was uh, at Loughborough University um, studying industrial design and technology. And when I was there, I was you know, thinking about sustainability. Um, I think I was the generation that was, you know, we grew up with global warming and banging the drum about sea level rising. And I was really passionate around sustainability. I, um, during my degree at Loughborough, um, I got a chance to do um, some work at Eon. So Eon used to be PowerGen at the time was one of the, the biggest energy companies in Europe. And they said to me, Lawrence, um, hey, look, we think we're doing some really interesting work at Loughborough. Um, can you come and join our team? And we want you to be part of this kind of like ninja group building streetlights that are powered by solar energy and powered by wind. So I walk into this huge power station, uh, huge engineering team, and we start looking at this problem. Um, and so I start speaking to an LED company. They invest half a million pounds in this LED company. So the, the, they really wanted to speak to me. I didn't even know what corporate investing meant. Um, I then started working with a solar research institute at Loughborough. Uh, Eon invested in them as well. So suddenly we had all these people helping us. And um, I spent a year there trying to build these solar streetlights. Now, the challenge is with using solar in cities is that you don't get very good sunlight. So today we're in Soho, there's high buildings around us. There's not very good sunlight on the street. And if you want wind, you've got to go um, out at sea or really, really high up. So I actually realised after a year that it kind of didn't work. So I almost had failed because it just wasn't tangible or commercial to use the energy of, of the sun, um, of the wind. And not to mention when there's no sun, there's no power, right? So what do you do at nighttime? So 
I left Eon. Um, in my mind, I'd failed, but I was hanging my head in shame. And I returned for my final year at Loughborough University. So I'm in a, this amazing department that had the biggest rapid prototyping laboratory in Europe at the time. Um, I had a machine shop as big as, I guess, any house that I could ever, ever have lived in, um, uh, plastic prototyping lab. And I really had these amazing facilities. And um, I kept thinking about this problem of energy in cities. And I thought, hold on, look, what if we could create energy from people? Um, and I, I've seen the idea in my mind and and then I guess I evolved the story um, throughout my time at university um, I'd have many many sleepless nights my uh, desk in my bedroom at uni or my, my bedroom at university had six desks in it so I had one for mechanical building I had one for engineering drawing I had one for electronics one for electronic rigs that would be simulating the power of a footstep so sadly the only banging in my bedroom at university was coming from the machines that I, I was building um, so I, I got deeply into to a university and, and essentially I came out of university and I had a, a wooden prototype that showed you could generate energy from a single footstep and I wasn't planning to build a company. I really, really believed in it. I mean, so in my mind, it was something that I had to succeed in um, and I'd, I'd won £5,000 from the Royal Society of Arts so I entered a competition uh, for something separate around redesigning rural postal services but that 5k was as much as 500k is today. So what I achieved with that five grand, like I, I as a student, like my student loan was probably a thousand pounds. So like that amount of money was astronomic to me at the time. So I started going to factories, getting to build me stuff, um, working with consultants who were like amazing. And and suddenly I just after uni, I, I had a position where I kind of had a pretty cool prototype that would probably cost me half a million pounds today, but I managed to do it you know, really really cheaply. So I guess that was at the start, and and I guess then. It, that's when it, things started to get interesting. So let's fast forward a moment and then we'll fill in the, the bit in the middle. So uh, just to put this into perspective, tell us about some of the awards, uh, awards and recognition that you've achieved in those, what, 10 years since the bedsit days? Yeah, so I I think we've been really lucky to win a bunch of awards around the world, from the World Technology Awards in America um, to we won the Climate Week Awards uh, for our work and for, for towards energy. Uh, I was finalist at Shell uh, Shell Livewire for Shell Entrepreneur of the Year, and and that started a whole scope of work with with Shell directly. Um, and then you know for me, I guess it's not an award, but um, people may be familiar with TED Talks, and uh, I'd never heard of TED before, and this is 2010, 2011. 11, so really early days um, and I got invited to California to do a TED talk and I guess that changed my life because the kind of people I met there and the attitude to innovation was very different so you know today I've done five TED talks and, and to me that's my proudest moments of really being allowed to take the stage with such amazing people and, and tell the story so I guess yeah look we, we've won some really exciting awards in our journey and they, they continue but I, I guess I try to really focus on uh, the results as opposed to the the awards that, that come with the, the good results that you can get. So you started, Lawrence, you know, in a bedsit with this embryonic uh, business and idea that you've obviously nurtured over, over time with amazing results. But obviously there's a lot of people out there that, you know, have a big idea but don't really know how to get it off the ground. What, what's the, I mean, is there, a, is there a process that you went through? How did you turn, you know, that pipe dream, how did you turn that great idea into reality apart from the fact you got £5,000? 
Yeah, so I think the the thing maybe to start with of like what I think you need before you go with an idea is you need to really believe in your idea and, and you've got to be ultimately so committed to that. So I think true belief to sacrifice everything to make that idea come true is the first thing. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't do an idea half-hearted until I really believed in it. Um, I think that you've got to be bold so you've got to really believe in it in terms of actually you know you've got to find your own luck you don't make an idea and someone gives you a million pounds you you have an idea and you, you knock on every single person's door you send letters to their office you do whatever it takes to get those people to recognize it so i think creating your own luck and i think that it's not a linear process so i think i was lucky in that my background is a designer. I'm not an investment banker. You know, I'm a I'm a designer, and, and the design process is that you're taking so many different feeds in from everywhere, human, physical, digital, mechanical, and and, and you've got to evolve that process in the only way you see fit, which can be very organic, but it's definitely not linear. So I think they're the the kind of things I I look for if I'm thinking about an idea or or supporting or investing in an entrepreneur, and then it goes back to my journey. Um, I, I said before, I won the, won the prize money, left uni, and I was like, oh, what should I do now? And um, I sat in a, a flat in Brixton. I was there in my bedroom. Uh, it was basically a, you know, a bed sit. I, I spent five years in Brixton. And uh, I think the interesting thing in this flat is that you know I was refining the prototypes. So I was swapping the bits of wood that were duct taped together with pieces of metal. Uh, and then I was making the metal more efficient by putting bearings in it and, and, and really changing the mechanical design. I was uh, promoting the brand. I was dragging this prototype that probably weighed at the time about 50 kilos I was dragging it all around London so I had a granny trolley and basically I'm dragging it on the tube and, and this is before Google Maps so I had like pieces of paper with all the maps on so usually it was raining the map had disintegrated I'm lugging this huge piece of metal I, I went to probably around 200 VCs um, I went to, to pitch them to invest and it was in a credit crunch we're talking um, 2009 2010 and if you were a VC in a credit crunch, you'd remember that there was no funding for pre-revenue companies that died. So I went to, you know, several hundred. They all said no. Uh, I went to my university. Uh, they said, we'll, we'll help you, but give us 51% of the company. Um, I said, no, thank you. Um, and then I went to the government and the government had a high technology uh, development group that would, would help new ideas. And they said an expert would phone me. So I'm waiting in this bed, sit for my phone to ring. My phone rang and it was the government expert. And he goes, Lawrence, forget it, it will never work. So I had the VC saying, forget it, it will never work. The university trying to steal the idea off me. And then the government like saviors who were meant to help me saying it will never work. So I guess, it, you know, I was up against it because no one would buy the product without investment and no one would invest without revenue. So it was a catch 22. And this is a really common thing I, I see with entrepreneurs is you just get stuck, you know, between between both options of, of how to grow. So I, I guess what I did from that point is, you know, I, I started promoting the brand as heavily as I could, getting everywhere, working with government. Uh, you know, I joined David Cameron on his trade mission to China, um, and I was on a private uh, 747 uh, with, with him and some other CEOs. And the interesting thing, I was a CEO of a two-man company, and I'm there with a CEO of Standard Chartered, of McLaren, of JCB, of the Premier League, and, and these were incredibly, and, oh yeah, I think the, the CEO of the London Stock Exchange. So I was with some incredibly influential individuals, and um, I guess they, they kind of helped me on that journey to move forward. And um, what I did, I guess, between the promotion and, and growing the brand was engineer the product, make it more robust, so build many, many more prototypes. But what I realized is I needed to prove it worked. 
So what I did is uh, I persuaded a, a friend of mine. I may have paid him in beer. I'm not going to guarantee that, but I may have paid him in beer. And at two in the morning, we broke into a building site at the South Bank. So it's me, my kind of wooden slash metal prototype that showed you could generate energy from a footstep. It's him with a bag of cement, a bucket and uh, equipment to mix the cement. Uh, and then we had a spade. So. We go in, we dig this hole in the South Bank, we put my prototype in the ground, we slot it in the hole, we mix the cement and we cement it into place, and then we connect it up to lighting. So we wanted to show that when you walk, you can generate energy. So we plugged in around 10 lights around it, and when you stood on it, it would light up lighting in this public area. So we took some pictures, we put it on the website, and the title on the website is, The Future of Energy is Here. So it was quite a bold claim. And um, the next day, uh, I got a phone call from Westfield, and they said, look, we're building Stratford City on the Olympic site. Um, we just want to check, have you done an installation? I was like, yes. They were like, does it work? I was like, yes. Uh, they didn't ask me, was it illegal or not? So I wasn't <laughs> lying. And, um, you know, I closed a 200k deal with Westfield off the back of that. And so suddenly we went from, uh, I guess, a slightly crazy, weird bloke in a bedsit trying to play with this floor that would generate energy to I got an office. I started building a team of mainly electrical and design engineers to help me build the build the vision. And when we started building the product from there, and I think what was really interesting is, you know, we got to revenue, so people wanted to speak to us. We closed a, a couple of hundred K deal with uh, Diageo just afterwards that saw our product go around Europe. But then I started raising money. So I, I didn't really know what investment was, but I realized I needed a lot of money to, to build the prototypes, the tooling, the manufacturing. So we, we raised around 150K uh, from friends and family. So uh, I basically had a rig and a garage uh, at this point that was simulating a million footsteps. People saw it, uh, believed in it. And I got around 5K from a, a various, various people, uh, from old grannies <laughs> to uh, old friends to anyone I could find, really. Uh, and then we went ahead and raised 350k for the London Business Angels, then 500k through the Harvard Business Angels, and um, it, it went on and on. And we we raised some more um, along the way. And essentially, I raised money at every different stage uh, at every valuation to ensure that we kept control of the company. Um, I think now there's a lot of uh, v entrepreneurs who get really, really excited about their first VC raise and give away 30% of the company on the get-go. But I guess we did it in stages. So I went from 1 million valuation to 2 to 5 to 6 to 9 to 12. And it, and that was on milestones I'd achieved that I told everyone I'd achieve. Um, and then you know we went from there into batch production and then started working around the world. And I think you know today we've got to a point where um, we're in over uh, 32 countries. You know, we're working in Kazakhstan to Nigeria to Korea. Uh, we've just done our, our first million-dollar contract in uh, California with a with a bank that in the market, um, and and really getting into every single corner of the world. And we work with government to private organisations, uh, brands, um, and and all these different areas we're getting into. So I think we're, we're going. We've gone through this amazing, I guess, kind of period of growth from you know a guy in a bedroom until actually now we're selling like big enterprise level solutions to big corporates um, and, and that's kind of the, the where it's taken me along that way. Wow, that is that is quite some story. Um, so you know, there's a, there's a lot of people listening that and I want to I want to be clear about this. I don't want people to feel disconnected from somebody as successful as you. So to put this into perspective, and you've already touched on this, there seem to be many challenges along the way. You know, I, I love the fact that you've knocked on all those doors and you made all those phone calls and you send all those letters. Uh, you know, that's that's a prerequisite for success in many ways, isn't it? You you can't, it just doesn't happen. You have to put in, you have to put in the hard yards. And that's clearly what you did at the beginning. 
I mean, I, I think that it was really hard at the beginning and I've got some stories around difficulties, but hey, it, it's still hard now. Like the, the complexity and the challenges get greater and greater. So like every day, you know, I, I feel like being an entrepreneur, especially in hardware, and I think when you build something physical, you got to get corporate very quickly because if you've got 3,000 components sourced from all around the world and one of them goes wrong, it's game over. Um, I think if you're developing a digital platform, you can afford to be a slightly more playful in your journey because it's in one place and there's kind of one way, one button to play with it and you can protect that um, from from being, uh, from damaging it. Whereas we've had to get very, very serious early on. And I think, you know, everything from, you know, my, my first major installation, we had a truck and it had been, it, and it was a 200K deal to cover the Champs-Élysées in Paris for Schneider Electric. And they had a marathon running there. And this was our first big deal. They said to me, Lawrence, we want you to cover the Champs-Élysées. How long will it take you? And I'm like, uh, well, in my mind, I'm like, okay, I've never done this before, more than 10 tiles. I have no idea. And they said, Lawrence, can you do it in six hours? And so I go away and I go, I said, yes. Uh, and then I, I freak out, right? I'm going, how the hell am I going to install all these paved gens on a massive area in a foreign country? I've never done it before. So I brought in the, the Gurkhas, so a, a group from the British Army. And uh, we actually installed it in 55 minutes. And uh, I was so confident after all this planning. We had like, I was there with a client with a stopwatch and we did it in 55 minutes. But there was, you know, on the way, the truck got impounded because the driver who was not employed by us, but through the factory, he drove to, for too long over his tachometer, I think. So he was allowed to drive for maybe 11 hours and he drove for 12. It got impounded. And then they found out the truck was too heavy. So I had to like negotiate getting to Dover with a 12 ton pickup to go and release the goods from the back of his truck to then get them to the site. And it was just the biggest problem you could imagine. I think everything we do has challenges from you know dealing with ships that aren't allowed to port because of weather <laughs> to products not working and, and, and vandalism. And I, I think, you know, that journey is, it's all about problem solving. And I think as an engineer, all I'm on this planet to do is solve problems. So certainly, yeah, it's, it's full of pain and suffering. But I think you might have a bad day for six days in a row or 10 days in a row. But when you have a good day, then it's all worth it because suddenly it's come together and they paid you and the client's happy mm. and you've had a million people walk on your product. So I definitely think that the, the highs outweigh the lows, but there's, there's a hell of a lot of lows in this journey, you know, as you're scaling. We've known each other for quite some time now. And I have to say, and it never ceases to amaze me how... How passionate you are, and it's one of the first things you said today, is that that belief and passion is kind of component part number one, the first step on that journey. And then then I heard you say, you know, well, I'll use the word hard work, you know, the, the hard yards, the knocking on the doors and so on. What are, what are the other steps that you've had to take on that, that really amazing journey? In terms of what advice would you give to somebody looking to do something similar to you? Start their own business, got a great idea. So, OK, I believe in it. I'm I'm prepared to work hard. Um but are there other things that you've had to consider along the way that have uh, helped you get to where you've got to? Yeah, so I think it's an incredible challenge to be able to be someone who can take an idea and take it into a, a, a company. And I mean, as I said, large company, you know, we're, we're still a small organisation, but I think that a lot of it comes down to you as an individual. So I think, you know, I was a designer sketching on a piece of paper, sitting in a lab, um, and I had to turn into a CEO. Um, and I think the the I had to almost change who I was every six months based on where the company was. Um, and you say, look, why am I here? You know, I'm here. 
ultimately to make my shareholders a return on their investment. Um, so there's a responsibility as being a chief executive officer and, and really understanding that responsibility and the governance and respect and uh, dealing with things. You know, I, I'm not in a lab anymore. I'm not building things with a with a hammer and a, a drill mm. like I used to. And I think that journey has been really interesting for like for me to learn the power of uh, what it means to be a chief executive officer. You know, I'm an officer um, of my team and of my shareholders. So I think that's been a really interesting journey of understanding that and what that means. Um, I've got a great board of directors, you know, so I've, I've got a guy called, uh, or gentleman, sorry, I say guy, I've come from Silicon Valley, so <laughs> I'm dropping guy. But so, you know, I've got a gentleman called Jeff Martin, who is head of multimedia and entertainment at Apple. Um, you know, he spent 15 years working next door to Steve Jobs uh, and was responsible for platforms like iTunes and iOX being released. So, you know, I've got someone like Jeff on my board who brings, you know, he's been around for a lot longer than I have. Um, he's seen lots of digital change and, and there's uh, it's, it's getting to work with those great individuals who support my vision. Um, and I, I've got to learn to take advice from those people. And I think, look, I'm headstrong. Uh, everyone can have an ego. Everyone can be arrogant. And I think it's recognising those weaknesses in an individual. And I think the second thing is you've got to learn to like switch off in certain ways because no matter what you say, no one can do 16 hours every day for five years. It's just... I don't believe it's possible, and and I guess I've tried that, and I I've, I've kind of done it. Maybe I did four years, and then realised it was too much. I think it's learning how to switch off and and find things that can make you a better person. So I guess I started racing Ironman competitions. Uh, you know, I ran two two marathons last year in two weeks. Uh, I like taking on big challenges, and I feel that makes me a better person. I think really understanding that sitting in an office every single minute of every day doesn't necessarily make you a better leader of a company. So I feel like I've evolved my thoughts on things like that because I used to spend weeks on end on the same desks working on the same problem and now is is about balancing things out so there, there's a, a kind of one of you know personal uh, response to your question Lawrence I have to ask you I know because the business is growing so exponentially and there's so many people getting behind it uh, one of the things that I know you're looking to do is to raise some money and whilst this isn't a commercial plug I'm really fascinated to know how you're going about that because uh, that's an important part of part of any business in terms of its uh, development. Sure, yeah. So capitalization is key, especially when you're making stuff. And, you know, we've got to spend a million pounds on industrial tooling to bring the price down of the technology. But recently, we've, we've just brought on board um, new investors called the Hedunja Group. Um, and the, the Hedunja Group are really exciting because they're a 50 billion revenue Indian company focused on infrastructure. And they, they bought British Leyland and turned it into the biggest truck company in India. Uh, and the, the gentlemen who are currently running it are the, were the two richest men in the UK in 2016. Um, so we, we bought them in as investors. But what we're actually doing is we're launching a crowd fund. Um, it's going to be going live on Crowdcube. Uh, it should be on now, uh, where people can invest from as little as £10 in the company uh, and join us on the journey as we scale up. And, and with the aim of, you know, we, we aim to do a trade sale or IPO within the next kind of two to four years. Um, and then investors would see a return. Obviously, this isn't a formal investment plug, but it's just an idea of like how to, how to scale it. And I think equity crowdfunding has been the most transformative uh, aspect for new businesses um, in the past decade in the UK? Uh, I mean, it strikes me, it's, it's obvious that you're somebody that has in their DNA a desire to stretch themselves, uh, overcome challenges and obstacles and push yourself. And that's, you know, an inherent trait of, of successful people, entrepreneurs. But, you know, there are obviously some people out there that are not born like that, but they've still got a great idea. But And you've shared some of the some of the steps along the way. What's the one bit of advice that you've picked up on on this incredible journey 
that you perhaps you you weren't born with you know, because there's a lot of traits that you have that clearly are part of who you are but is there anything you've learned along the way apart from readjusting the sales because clearly things change on a constant basis and i love the fact by the way just while you're thinking about the answer i love the fact that you you broke into a building yard and and start digging holes and filling them with concrete which i, I think in the modern world a lot of people think that that does surely that doesn't happen anymore but it really does well yeah uh, hey on, on day one You've got to do whatever it takes. If you're in a village in Scotland and you've got the next idea for Facebook, like there's no one in that village, I imagine, uh, who's going to help you. You know, you need to go and bang down doors, find the people that will help you, go to Silicon Valley, hang out in every restaurant or bar the VCs are in, do whatever it takes. Uh, it's definitely a, a trait. Um, so your, your question... About just have you picked up anything along the way that you perhaps that wasn't part of you? Any, any advice that somebody's given you along the way? Um, for example, you know, a, a skill set, a, a thought process, um, yeah. w- ways to overcome a particular challenge. Yeah, so I think the things I've picked up on the way that I guess I'm learning more and more about now is it's the power of the tribe. Um, and so what I mean by that is the, the power of a, a network. So I think what I've done is, you know, I've been part of the entrepreneurship community in London since 2009. You know, there wasn't really one in 2009 the same way. You know, WeWork didn't exist then and, and all that good stuff. And so I think I've got a, a really close-knit community of other entrepreneurs. Um, you know, some have created billion-dollar companies. Some are, you know, gained their first 100K investment and, and some are starting out. But I think what we all have in common is that everyone wants to help each other. And so so if you're looking at, you know, we'll do stuff like um, we want to in- increase our sales on the B2B uh, SaaS level in America. So I'll sit down with five of my entrepreneur friends who've got, say, five million revenue, and we'll sit and we'll exchange our contacts and our sales leads so we can accelerate each other's growth. And I think the really interesting thing is if you're looking at investors, for example, and my lawyer introduces me to an investor, like that investor doesn't really care what the lawyer thinks. No respect, no, no disrespect to my lawyer, who's amazing. But when an entrepreneur who's raised money from that investor says hey Lawrence is really cool doing some really exciting stuff really driven you should look at him I have a really serious conversation with that investor so I think working with the tribe and and I'll spend 10% of my time helping the community because you get so much back from it and I think you know I'm still learning to build my network now you know I hear here you know you you can sign contracts at a karaoke bar in Hong Kong right so you never know where your network will take you and and the kind of the people you learn to do business with but also become friends so I think you know, my the power of a network is something that is so important to get right because if you know someone uh, for a long time, you know, it's often if you ask them for help, they will help you a lot more than knocking on someone's door on day one asking for help. So I really believe in that the power of the tribe. The the big the big question that I don't think anyone's ever really found the answer to, but I, I'd like to ask you because I I want to understand uh, how you see it as an individual, and you're certainly well qualified to answer the question. What does what does success look or feel like? To Lawrence Kemble Cook. So I think the idea of success, the, the common misconception is is the idea of like having an island, right? And everyone, hey, I was successful, I got an island. But I think like it's about creating impact because when you create impact and, and, and like positive impact, uh, good things follow. So some people may say it's about wealth um, or I'd say, well, it's about, you know, we want to be able to affect every single person living in every developed city on day one. And as soon as I get that reach, then I feel like I'm having impact. So on, on that journey, I think we're probably 
two percent of the way there um but it is great to get the recognition in new markets and people have heard of us and when people are building a city they come to us and i think that when we start to create that momentum uh that's when good stuff happens and, and it all trickles down from there because then i can have a bigger team and then hey one day we'll sell for a billion dollars and that's a great thing to happen but it's not necessarily that's not the prize the prize is creating impact along the way and becoming a, an energy solution for urban cities and and also moving to things like data and 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 getting i guess also like higher up in the food chain in the tech world because i think the more we learn the more powerful we get and the more people that can help us and the bigger the network and the more other people you can help and you kind of get to that critical mass so i think it's about you know overall you know impact in terms of getting product market fit and and community as a whole uh being behind what you're doing that's a lofty ambition billion dollar company but uh i certainly wish you great success on that on that journey yet to come uh in terms of the future, apart from growing the business, what else do you aspire to do? What what drives you? I mean, Ironmans, marathons and all those crazy things that most people think, yeah, one day I'll get around to it, but never quite do it. What, what else drives you? What else is yet to come? Well, it's, it's a great question. I think, you know, for, for me, I like challenging myself. Uh, I think that... Um, pushing the body to a limit is a very similar mental task to uh, pushing your your mind to the limit during a, a, a phase of work for a company. Um, so I definitely don't want to stop doing those things. I need to have slightly more time, but I'm not running a business to, to do that. Um, but I think, you know, ultimately, I've never had a job, right? I've just ever, I've just built a company. Um, so if you look at the, the word entrepreneurship, that, that kind of summarizes like my life and my, maybe I'm too entrepreneur, uh, folk, uh, too much of an entrepreneur. Uh, and I, I do that across other parts of my life. But I think I enjoy starting companies. Um, I enjoy investing in companies and supporting a, a management team that I really believe in. Um, and so I think it's really like supporting the development ecosystem. Uh, but who knows, you know, maybe politics, maybe write a book, maybe, climb some mountain that no one's heard of uh, along the way and I think they're all, all challenges that are there at some point but you know I think my time is definitely right now 100% devoted to getting getting paved into the next stage and you know keep continuing the growth so I'd like to touch on a four letter word that you've mentioned I think three times in the last minute or so and that's the big word time the one that we all strive to have more of how does such a busy guy like you find time for anything else yeah I think or do you just accept the fact that it is all consuming? Um, do you have to make sacrifices? Are you prepared to make those sacrifices? Or have you learned to try and uh, create a little bit more work-life balance, the thing we all strive for, you know, the, the kind of the perfect outcome? Yeah, I think that no one's perfect and I'm far, far from that. Um, I think that I can process a lot in a day. I think that what I can do in one hour is probably maybe what some people can do in a day um, in that I can just deal with an intense amount of uh like bandwidth i think having a really good team around me uh eliminates some of that time constraint so like for everything from a, a great ea to someone who can run sales so you know as soon as a sale comes in and i'm working on it i can i can send it to them to work on and divide the right amount of time to and i've got a great uh head of operations who can manage the day-to-day -day, uh people who help me on the fundraising and ba balancing out all those sides of the business but i think it's, it's about finding time to switch off which is so hard and i think you know i i try and look at it as if imagine you walk down the stairs from your office and get the tube home and and walk upstairs to your home 
home. You've got to look at every single step you make as a way to take your mind out of the million things going on in your mind. And obviously, like in business, there's so much there. And then try and plug into where you want to be at home, which is either with family or friends or partners or whatever it is. And, and I, I just try and learn and think about that every single day of how to like try and... Because if you don't never switch off, it can be a problem, right? And I've lived that for many, many years. So I, I'm striving still to find a way to unplug. And I think like, if, you, if you'd met me in Silicon Valley yesterday after six hours of back-to-back meetings, I'd be going like a machine gun. Um, but you've got to kind of just calm it down and, and focus and look at your priorities and, and then get get to that point. So I, I definitely don't have an answer, but it's something I'm, I'm looking at almost on a daily basis. I was kind of seeking, I was hoping to seek an answer for myself here. The reason we don't see much of each other is because we're both so busy. Um, but yeah, that I think what I liked about the answer you've just given and shared with people is the fact that, you know, that work-life balance is really difficult to achieve because on the one hand, if you are striving for success and all those things you're very passionate about, there is going to be an imbalance somewhere. And, and I think what you're saying is that you you kind of accept that as part and parcel of uh, of that journey, to use that word yet again. I know it's a bit cliche these days, but it, but it, that's what it is. It's a, it's a path from here to there. And the fact you are prepared to trade one thing off against another. Yeah, and I, I think my, my final point on that is, is like, I, I live on a boat uh, in central London, uh, it's, it's an eco boat. It's powered by the sun. Uh, so I've got a big solar around it. And what I love about that is that I have like a really zen place right in the centre of London that when I look out the boat at night, I see the ducks quacking, I see the river. And for me, having somewhere that is not travelling for hours but can be quite zen is like a really good way to chill out. I don't have internet on my boat I, on purpose. It's like a floating house. So it's not like a canal boat. It has like a few stories. So it's a great place to live. And I found that having that sacred place that you can come back to that's not really really far away really helps balance out and that I can be home in 15 minutes but I can also be super chilled and relaxed on my boat and I, I feel like if I was in and where I've lived previously like really dense urban spaces that are really noisy and you know being in Brixton it's one of the most polluted places in London and loudest I was opposite a police station as well uh, so I just find that that's really helped me to like be zen when I need to be zen. I, I did not know you didn't have wi-fi on your boat and, and the thought of not having wi-fi kind of freaks me out and I'm sure it freaks lots of other people out. But that's a really interesting point. Do you think social media, the internet, accessibility helps or hinders? hinders 100%. I think we're going through like a revolution at the moment in calm tech. People are getting addicted to their smartphones. Addic- you know, if you think about Facebook, it's a, a group of intelli- incredibly intelligent people sitting in Silicon Valley designing things to make you be addicted to it. You know, you get a dopamine hit every time something happens on social media when you get a like on Instagram. And I think it's a massive problem that we're facing as a society. And so it's, a, it's an incredible waste of time unless you focus and prioritise it in the right way. How how easy is it to start scrolling Instagram versus going through some work emails? And I, you know, I work hard to try and balance it out. And by no means am I perfect. I, you know, I've still got the apps on my phone, but I think we, we, it's a huge problem. And I'm so glad that I grew up without Facebook, age 12 and 13 and 14, because it would be a different place, I think, now. So I think mm. you've got to be careful of how dangerous social media is. Yeah, a great tool for business as well. Mm. I'm, I'm sad to say that we're kind of getting towards the end of our chat today. I'd love to go on talking for a lot longer. But one question that we ask all of our guests, which you may or may not know, is um, taking all of the knowledge that you've acquired over this time, uh, being successful, taking that embryonic idea and turning it into something spectacular. Clearly, you've learned a lot along the way. Now, let's just fast forward to a point where you've got, say, a 12, 15 year old 
version of yourself sitting on your knee saying, right, dad, one piece of advice before I go out into the big wide world. Uh, just one kind of simple piece of advice to, to set me on the on the path to success in life, whatever that looks like. What one bit of advice would Lawrence Kemble Cook Sr. give Lawrence Kemble Cook Jr.? Wow. So I think it's a really big question. And I, I'd say that it's got to come down to, you know, just believe in yourself, be bold and believe in your ideas. And and I think that belief, which w- would come across as confidence, w- will, will always help you grow it as long as you have that belief and don't ever doubt yourself. Um, so I'd definitely say that that's what I go for. Is there anyone that's really inspired you on this amazing path to success? Yeah, I think on my journey, I've had, I guess, a few people that have inspired me. I think look, everyone's got the the icons that you see online and on TV and, and so forth. And then you've got the very real people. Um, so I've got like great mentors slash, you know, great friends now. People like uh, Will King, who started uh, King of Shaves. So he started a razor company that got to 23 million revenue that was in all the supermarkets. And it was he was he was taking on billion dollar people like Gillette, you know, and, and not they, they don't let you go like... So I think someone like Will King's been great. You know, he's been supporting me uh, throughout the journey. And then also, uh, I'd say someone like Emma Sinclair. So Emma was the youngest woman ever to IPO her business. Uh, She's the founder of a company called Enterprise Illumini. Uh, And I think I, I saw her do a speech a few years ago in the Spanish embassy. And I went up to her and I said, look, that's that was mind blowing. Uh, like, can you help me? And and she's she's really really helped me on my journey. Uh, and I guess we help each other as we're both traveling the world on on what is a very lonely way. So I think having mentors has been really important to me. Um, there's others that I haven't mentioned, but like they're the two people that you know their advice usually is home in one. You know, when you hold in one, sorry, when you you hear from them. And you're quite an accomplished speaker as well now, traveling around, delivering messages that help other people to the point you made earlier. Yeah, I think that, you know, what I found interesting is that having, I guess, experiences I've got, but has allowed opportunities to go and you know, go to Bahrain and speak to the, you speak with the government there and speak to like some wide groups and across Korea. And I think I'm, I'm doing a project with Bank of America, Merrill Lynch in a few weeks time. And so I've had the opportunity to meet some incredible people um, in some incredible places uh, through speaking. And I think it's a, it's a great way to spread the message, but also meet people you never meet. And, and ultimately, you know, I, I I can tell I'm trying to I'm on a crusade which is trying to make the world powered from footsteps and I've got to be banging the drum as loud as I can pounding the pavements literally uh, and and speaking is getting out there and in completely new markets so uh, I continue to do that and it's a really exciting way to I guess get momentum and 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 see some really cool stuff well you're certainly banging the drum on the Sandre Forte podcast because there's lots and lots and lots of people listening to you so thank you for sharing so much valuable um information and words of wisdom with us. Um, Clearly, the next question that everyone's going to have is how do they find out more about you and PaveGen and all the things you're doing? Now, you mentioned that you kind of disconnect from social media, but there must be ways for us to find out more about Lawrence Kemble Cook. Sure, yeah. I'm definitely on social media. Not as much as maybe I could be. But um, yeah, so I think Twitter, you know, at Lawrence KC, and that's L-A-U-R-E-N-C-E-K-C, and then at PaveGen, so P-A-V-E-G-E-N. And I guess uh, the story is on fairly regularly on Instagram uh, as well, and that's at Lawrence KC Graham. Um, That's on there. So yeah, take a look. And if they try to interact with you, just don't expect... uh a reply during the evening because you shall be in your your zen space on your boat hopefully uh, i can't guarantee that but yeah no definitely I'll, in the day there's there's always time for some of the interactions well thank you today's been i mean eye-opening and uh, so many people listening will be thank you, thanking you for sharing 
so openly so many amazing things and and I'm sure lots of people will be calling for you to come back and share some of those stories that you alluded to earlier some of the spectacular failures and the great successes um, and some of the funny things that I'm sure have happened along the way so Lawrence Kemble Cook thank you so much for joining us it's been an absolute pleasure Fantastic. Look, thanks so much for having me and uh, I look forward to hearing from maybe the listeners and, and being an avid listener of the podcast in the future. Continued success to you. That was the Sandro Forte podcast and what an incredibly interesting interview with Lawrence Campbell Cook. There are many more fantastic guests joining me over the coming weeks, so please make sure you subscribe if you want to pick up some great tips on success. Remember, as always, you can follow us on social media at Sandro's Podcast. That's Sandro's with an S. Same on all channels. And we'd love to hear your stories, ideas, anecdotes, challenges, or whatever motivates you. So please keep those emails coming. Hello at sandrospodcast.com. And if you can, please leave a review on iTunes so we know what you'd like more of in the future. Until next week. Music.